Pleasant, pleasant. Good morning to everyone. Thank you all so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here today. I am just thrilled to be a part of this. I was, I was sharing with uh, someone today that, man, if I wasn't planting a church, I'd come over here and join this church because this is, this is a great church. So if you all would, would you give it up for yourselves this morning? Come on, please, please. <laughs> I mean, just a great, great church, some great things happening here, and, and uh, truly a privilege to be a part of what God is doing. And so I'm so thankful. Uh, I want to make sure that I got my timer set because, as I mentioned last week, uh, Heath was a part of my assessment process, and uh, one of the things that he shared with me, he was like, man, you're going to have to cut your sermons down a little bit, buddy. Um, because I had, I think I had sent a message and it was like 80, 90 minutes long. So I saw someone in the back say, oh my God, <laughs> I had plans today. I can't be here until three o'clock, sir. I'm sorry. But so we're going to uh, be mindful of the time and we're going to get right into the word today. But if you would, let's pray for a moment. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to just share your word our desire, Lord, is to be transformed, God, as we are on this journey, Lord, and, and we don't want to remain the same, but we want to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so, Lord, I'm so thankful for the privilege of being able to share your word. I ask that you would speak through me, minister to your people, God. You know exactly what we need to hear, and we thank you today for the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. So, uh, as Heath mentioned, I am a part of the Houston Church Planning Network, and it has truly been an amazing experience. And I've learned some really, really great things. And so I just wanted to take a moment to publicly acknowledge uh, how awesome it is to be a part of the Houston Church Planning Network. And just uh, quickly, I'm going to share with you a little bit about my story and kind of how I came to HCPN. Uh, but basically, what happened is that I was on this island all by myself, not literally, um, but I was on this, in this place where I didn't know what to do. I knew that God wanted me to plant a church. I knew that this is what I was called to do, but I just didn't have the tools. I didn't know where to, which way to turn, and lo and behold, I had been praying and asking God for his help, and through the Houston Church Planning Network, God answered that prayer. I share all of that with you to say this that what you all are doing as a church supporting HCPN is absolutely amazing because you're helping people that you don't even know how big a help that you're being. And so I'm just so thankful unto the Lord for HCPN and unto you guys for supporting such a great organization. All right, so with that being said, let's get right into the Word. Um, I wanted to take a moment to do a little recapping. Since some of you today are here, I, we know that there are some first-time guests uh, today that are here. And so we want to do a quick recap so that you'll know what the context of what we're talking about. So essentially, what we have uh, is we're speaking from the letter of Titus. Titus was a guy similar to myself. He was planning a church. And so Paul left Titus on this island called Crete. And Titus's responsibility was to set things in order to make sure that the church in Crete was a healthy, thriving community. Well, there were some issues that they dealt with, and essentially the issues that they were dealing with was a group of people 
that were, that were in leadership that was misguiding and misdirecting and really uh, creating a nasty environment to where people could not grow in a healthy space. So Paul set Titus in place to say, hey, Paul, uh, hey, Titus, I need you to set things in order. Well, there are these bookcases, if, if I may, or these bookends that Paul gives to Titus. Bookend number one was that, hey, Titus, make sure that you appoint leaders that who are sound in doctrine, who are sound in faith, who can maintain good health. And then on the other side of that, he said, listen, you should be devoted and committed to doing good work. So last week, we talked about our tendency to lose sight of God's goodness, of how good he is toward us. And that causes us, when we lose sight of God's goodness toward us, that causes us to lose sight of what he saved us and the reason that he saved us. And he saved us so that we can do good works. And so our, basically our big idea last week is that we remember to do good works when we reflect on the good work done in us, that the, there's a good work that God has done in us. And, and if you're not a Jesus follower today, if you're a person that says, I'm, I'm really trying to fill this thing out, I want you to know that you are here for a reason. You're here and in this dispensation of time for a reason. I've often heard people say when bad things happen, why don't God do something about all the bad stuff that's happening? And here's what I'm contending. He has done something good, and that is he's created you. You see, all of us have been created to solve a problem. All of us have been created to do something great for the Lord. I've heard it said this way. To the world, you may be only one person, but to one person, you just may be the world. And so we have this, this tremendous privilege of being agents in the earth, agents of change that God has created and sent us to do a good work. And so that's what Paul encouraged the church to do. That's what Paul encouraged Titus to establish in Crete. So today I want to talk. Um, we're going to finish up today. We're going to start in verse uh, eight. We left off in verse 8 in chapter 3 of Titus, and I want to share with you kind of where we're going to be going today. So in Titus chapter 3, uh, verse 8, it says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And here's what we're picking up. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So I want to start there with an introduction and let you know that God is an investor. If there's anyone in here today, let me see by show of hands, you've ever made an investment. Let me see. Show of hands. Yes. And, and you, maybe not in the stock market or anything like that, but maybe you invest through your 401k or maybe you're like, man, I don't even invest in 401k. Well, all of us have invested something. And here's here's what I'm claiming today. We, too, are investors. God has invested something into us, and we now have a responsibility to also invest. I want to kind of put myself out there. and Y'all don't judge me. Please don't. Y'all don't judge me. But I made an investment one time, and the investment was I bought this book. And the book, they said, if you use this book, 
it is going to give you access to thousands of dollars. And I was like, wow, okay. And it was a book for grants. And so I invested $300 in a book so that I can have access to grants. Can I tell you what happened with the investment that I, I made? Y'all can talk back to me. What, what do you think? What do you think happened? <laughs> I didn't get a, a single red cent from that investment that I made. Well, here's what I'm claiming today. God has made an investment into you, and he is expecting what we would call a return, right? Anybody know what the, uh, the acronym is for ROI, what that stands for? Oh, man, y'all are some good people today. Good, good class of return on investment. And so Paul is, is making a claim that, listen, Titus, I have made and God has made an investment into you, into the people of God, and he is expecting a return. And I want to tell you that today your most valuable uh, resource, your most valuable asset is your time. And what you do with your time is absolutely critical, and it displays the fact of what you're doing with the investment that has been made into you. There's a song. I, I'm going to go ahead and sing it. Can I sing it today? I'm going to go ahead and sing it. There's a song that this man named Otis Redding sang, and if you know the song, I'm going to ask that you sing it with me. And here's how it goes. Sitting on the dock of the bay. Watching the tide roll away. Come on, you can sing. Come on. Come on. I'm sitting on the dock of the bay. <laughs> Ooh, y'all are soul for church, too. <laughs> All right. Man, sitting on the dock of the bay, wasting time. It's been said that time is money. Well, I want to say, no, no. Time is more valuable than money will ever be. You see, because if I spend all my money today, I can get me some more tomorrow. But if I don't use the time that God has given to me well, once that time is over, it's over. And so Paul tells us something in verse 9. Well, let me back up to verse 8. He says, these things are excellent and profitable for people. What things, Paul? Good works. Good works is excellent. It's beautiful to behold, and it's profitable, meaning that there is a return. Yeah. So verse 9 tells us, he says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, but they are unprofitable and worthless. What Paul is telling us right here is that there are some things that I can do with my time that is actually unprofitable. And one of those things is that I can get involved in foolish arguments. The word foolish means morose. That's the, that's the Greek word, moros, moros. And when you think in terms of moros, to help us really bear out the idea of foolish discussions, and the, the word maras is where we get our English term moron from, right? So, so when I get involved in foolish discussions, you know what? I can actually call you a moron, but it wasn't me. It was the word. He called you a, a moron. And so here's what Paul is saying. Don't be a moron. 
Well, maybe that term is a little harsh, and let's try to clean it up a little bit and try to really make it clear on what Paul is illustrating right here. The word, when there is um, a storm in the Gulf, I sell insurance, and, um, and oftentimes when, when there's a storm brewing in the, go- the Gulf, uh, insurance carriers will say, hey, 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 wait, wait. We're not selling any more insurance right now. Hold up because we want to mitigate our losses, right? And so they call that a moratorium. A moratorium simply means that there's a prohibition in activity. So when I get involved in foolish conversations, literally what Paul is teaching here is that all profitability, all uh, activity actually stops. And so as a Christian, as a believer, one of the things, my things that I'm striving to do is to be active for the kingdom of God, to do things that's profitable. And so Paul says here, he says, listen, I want you to avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. You know, I've had conversations with people that just didn't go anywhere. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and it just was not profitable? You could see that it was not penetrating, that you were really having a conversation that was foolish. When you found that you were having a conversation that was foolish, that was worthless, that was unprofitable, you know what we stopped doing? I'm done. And, uh, and if I could quote, uh, maybe some of us know, have heard this, but there was a woman that was interviewed for this fire and, and, uh, and they, she said it this way, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> and sometimes you have to make a stand and say, you know, I don't have time to waste time because I want to be a good steward of the time that God has given to me. I want to be involved in good works. Verse 10 tells us this, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Now, I want to remind us, what is Paul trying to do here? Paul is trying to set order in the church. And so he's telling Timothy, uh, excuse me, Titus, he's saying, listen, Titus, encourage the people to be involved in works that's excellent, that's beautiful to behold, and that is profitable, that will yield a favorable return. Using our time wisely is what God wants us to do. And so in verse 10, he tells us that a person who stirs up division. Now, one, one translation uses the word heretic. And uh, heretic is a, is a term that you may hear sometimes uh, in, in church discipline. And uh, I don't want to take a whole lot of time here in, in explaining church discipline, but maybe f- some of you have seen this happen, those of you maybe that are in leadership in the church, where there's someone in the church that their intent is not to build up the body, their intent is not to be on mission with the church, their intent is to actually cause division. And that is a very dangerous person to interact with. And so Paul is telling us, he says, First of all, you want to foolish, excuse me, you want to avoid foolish conversations. And secondly, the person who stirs up division, you need to warn them. Give them two, ch- two chances. This is not baseball. This two strikes and you're out. 
right? So here's a, a good example of church discipline. And so if you've ever wondered, why does the church have to have discipline? Why should the church make, correct someone who, is just, uh, who has decided that they're going to go the wrong way? Well, it's because we want to protect the value of what we're trying to do. See, we are on a journey of transformation together. And one of the steps of transformation is our thinking has to be lining up with the Word of God. Now, I want to be clear in saying something because Paul is not saying that you don't, involve, you don't get involved in conversation where a person desires to grow. He's saying that's okay. He's not saying that, that you don't get involved in a conversation with a person who is really earnestly seeking truth. What he's referring to is a person who their direct intent is to bring division in the church. And why is that? Why would this person seek to bring division in the church? It's because they are on assignment from uh, the enemy. And that happens because, see, here's the thing. We can't do anything of value if we are not unified. And I want you to know today, church, that God wants us unified. And let me speak to the husbands and the wives that are sitting here or listening to this audio. You have to be on one accord in your home. Would you agree today? Right? Let me offer a piece of advice. If you and your wife or you and your husband are not in agreement about something, before you do anything, pause. Because we always want to be on one accord. So, one of the things that I want to bring out is that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says this, verse 12. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. We are expected to walk together in unity. Because there's something special that happens when we are unified. And I'd I like to illustrate that for a moment. Imagine we are in an orchestra today. Sir, what's your name? Mark. Mark. Good to see you, Mark. Question for you. If you were in an uh, orchestra, what instrument would you play? A cello. Well, that's pretty. that's a pretty good instrument. That's a manly instrument, too. I like ce cello, cello, cello. Yes, I, I was going to say flute, right? But maybe, <laughs> right, cello, right? And, and, and uh, ma'am, if you were in the orchestra, what instrument would you play? Violin. Oh, that's one of my favorite instruments, the violin. Now, imagine that all of us were in the orchestra and we had our own instruments, and, but we were playing from different music. What would it sound like in here? Chaos. Right. And so so we are all this this symphony, this this beautiful expression of of God's goodness toward us, where when we create this environment, great things happen. And this is what Paul is teaching us today is that, listen, it's important that there's no one that's in the congregation that that is permitted to just bring and stir up division. Because we must be unified. Just like Paul's illustration of the body, we must be operating in unison. And the thing that I want to share with you today is maybe you don't know what's, what instrument it is, metaphorically speaking, that God has called you to play. But I'm inviting you today to be a part of God's orchestra. 
because he wants to create a beautiful melody that brings him glory and honor. So our next verse that we're looking at here is verse 11. He tells them, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is condemned. The the word warped has to do with that it's twisted, that it's out of balance. Imagine a piece of wood. At one time I went to Home Depot. I was a I was going to do some, uh, a manly assignment where I was going to put together about 10 pickets on my fence. And so I went to Home Depot with my neighbor. And, uh, and so we were standing up at the picket, uh, getting the pickets, and we were looking at the, the, the wood. And we were kind of seeing if it, was, if it was straight is what we were doing. And there were several pieces of wood that we picked up that it was all bent and, and warped and, and crooked. Do you think that we bought that? No. Why? Because it was, it was twisted. It wasn't useful. It wasn't a part of a healthy fence that we were trying to build. So this is the imagery that Paul has given us today, is that this fence that I'm, I'm constructing, this, this environment that we're creating, it needs to be lined up. Now, that doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that, that we have it all together. But it, it does mean that we have a desire to do the right thing. So then in verse 12, he says, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Paul is, is asking for some help. He's saying, hey, send, send Artemis and Tychicus. To, uh, uh, when I send Art- Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to, to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. He's asking for some help. And in verse 13, he says, do your best to speed Zenos and the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Now, I think that this is a a beautiful place to mention something. When a church is on one accord, when we are functioning together as a unit, one mission, one purpose, one body, what happens is that we all rally around people who have need. And one of the things that I'm finding here uh, in, in, in the little church, meaning different congregations, the little C church, is that we all have a role to play for the Big C Church. Uh, I went to Cuba uh, earlier this past year, and I met a family that, that don't have a whole lot. If you're not aware, uh, in Cuba, the average household income is about $50 a month. And when you think about that, we blow 50 bucks in a, in a few minutes. But you know what? It's our responsibility to be concerned about our brothers and sisters around the world. And so what has happened is our church has decided to partner with uh, this family to send them a, a couple of hundred dollars a month. That $150, $200 that we send is small potatoes in our church, but for them it makes a big impact. And so that's, a, that's an example of a good work that we can take our time to invest in. Now, I've spent a lot of money, y'all, on things that just did not measure up. I've spent a lot of time uh, doing things that didn't even matter, wasting time with arguments, wasting time trying to convince somebody, wasting time doing things that just didn't matter. But you know what I found? That when I seek to invest into the kingdom of God, God says that that's a worthy 
investment. Now, I'm not necessarily right now talking about money, but I'm talking in terms of using your time, using your talent, and even your treasure to invest in the kingdom of God. And so here's, here's, an, here's an encouragement that I like to share today. As I be involved in activities, ask myself this question. Are these activities of no profit, of little profit, or if it's profitable for everything? And let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Uh, the, the other day I was at the gym, and I was, I was working it out, y'all. I, I was, man, I was sweating, and, and boy, I was running on the treadmill, and I was playing basketball, and man, I was working it out. I was, I was doing all kind of workouts. And in the middle of my workout, I noticed this elderly man on a walker. You know, if you have any excuses for not going to the gym, this guy, he's not in interested, right? He don't want to hear your little excuses. So he's, he's just barely making it to the gym. He's barely making it to his little machines. And after, I just started watching him. And here's what I noticed. Here's what I noticed. This man is trying his best to, to invest in his body. He's trying his best to invest in something that's going to help him. But here's what we know. Our outward man is perishing. And no matter how hard you work, sir, at some point, your body is going to deteriorate. And someday, your spirit will have to leave that body because it will no longer be able to support the life that you have. And here's what Paul tells Timothy. He says, you know what? Outward exercise is profitable, but just a little. And here, this is what Paul says. He says it's profitable for just a little while because after a while, these bodies that we invest in, they won't take us into eternity. And so here's the question that I'm asking today. What are you investing your time in? Are we investing in our, our, our natural bodies? Are we investing in things that, that's going to nice cars or big houses or nice clothes? I'm not saying those things are a problem. I'm saying that they have little profit. But the profit that I'm talking about today is profit that will last not just in this life, but in the life to come. Now, I want you to know something. God made an investment into you. And his investment, the scripture says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave, he invested his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You know what? God is an excellent master investor. You know what? He wants a return on his investment. You know, when you, when you think about it, one of the things that, that, that blesses me is that God thought enough to invest in me. God thought enough to invest in you. See, because you don't invest into something that is not valuable. You invest into something that you believe is a worthy investment. God believes that you are a worthy investment. And so what Paul teaches us throughout the book of Titus is this. Because of the investment that God has made into you, 
always go around thinking in those terms of how blessing, how much of a blessing it is that God invested into you. And now God wants me to live out of that investment. He wants me to live in a space where I realize that, God, it was your goodness that I'm here today. Last week, we encouraged and challenged uh, the people that when you wake up in the morning, ask yourself two questions. God, what are you doing in me? And the next question, God, what do you want to do through me? What can God do through you? That's the question. So in verse 14, Paul, he tr- he's, he's trying to wrap this up and making sure that his point of us being devoted to good works is made. And just so that I can be clear, not good works so that you could be saved, because it's not our good works that salvation is provided. No, no, it's, it's the good works that we do as a result of who we are, as a result of being transformed, as a result of we growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And verse 14, he says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. You know, I love the word learn. That's one of my favorite words, learn, because here's what my conviction is. It doesn't matter where you are. It matters where you're going. I always like to say that if you realize today, you know what, I stand in need of a Savior. Today, I don't know Jesus and the pardon of my sins. That's okay. You may say today that, you know what, I am not on a journey of being transformed. That's okay. You may say today that I am in a place where I am living a life beyond what God intended for me. That's okay. What's not okay is that you stay there. That you're, you're on this journey of saying, you know what, God, I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. I want to be transformed. The scripture says that in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, don't be conformed to this world system. But it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the idea of learning that Paul is stressing here is that, hey, this is where you are, but this is where we want to go. That right now, this, is, this may be where you are, but we are on a journey of transformation. And here's how we're transformed. Our thinking begins to change. And what do I base my thinking on? I base it on who God has called me to be. Do you know that you are a world changer? I mentioned last week that you are a city set on a hill. You, you, did you know that you are the salt of the earth? That's a beautiful imagery to me. You know, you ought to maybe try walking around with some salt shakers in your pocket, right? And, and you know, everywhere you go, you just take out the salt shaker and just, just shake it around. And, and pe- people may think you're a little strange, but that's okay. You're being reminded of what am I here to do, right? I'm here to season my world. Where I'm on my job and, and I come in and I, I say, God, how do you want to use me today? God, how, how
how can I be a blessing to someone today? God, I, I, want, to, I want to be flavorful. I want to be at a place where people look at me, they see the light of Jesus, and they don't give me the credit, but God, you know what? They give you the credit. And so I'm always in this space of where my mind is being transformed. You know, another thing that I notice about the idea of, of learning is that it takes time. And I want you to know God is so loving and patient with us. And that I may not be where I want to be, but you know what? God is working with me. And he's taking me from, from faith to faith. Or if I can use the learning analogy, he's taking me from grade to grade. You may be in the kindergarten right now. All I'm asking, all I'm challenging is next year, you can't be in the kindergarten next year. <laughs> It, it, there has to be a progression where I'm saying, Lord, I'm available to go and take the journey with you. And so what is Paul saying that our, the people need to learn? He said the people need to learn to devote themselves to good works. And you may be sitting here thinking today, you know what? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll devote myself to good works, but here's my concern, sir. My concern is that I'll do all these good things. But it, people that I do good things for, they'll, they'll forget. They'll ignore it. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're one of those persons that you have devoted yourself to doing good. But you've been hurt because the same love that you shared with others, they didn't return it back. The same grace that you've given to others, they didn't return it back. Well, can I caution you today? As you're doing good works, don't expect for the good work to be done back to you from the person that you did it for. See, doing a good work for someone, it may not ever come back through them. But here's what our conviction is, is that when I do a good work, because of the good work that's done in me, God says, I'll be the one to pay you back. I want to direct your attention uh, quickly to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. And I want to read this to you. It says, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. That means that God sees the good things that I'm doing. And I don't have to do these good things so that I can be seen by people. No, I can do good things and no one else would notice. I, I can do good works and be anonymous and no one may ever Notice, but there's one that will always see our good works, and that's God. And God says that the things that you do in secret, I'll reward you in the open. I'm advising and encouraging today that we would seek opportunity to be good to people, to, to be used by God to do good works. And I know those wheels are turning now in our minds. Well, how can, what can I do? Well, Paul is using this opportunity to remind the people that there are some folks that are getting ready to take a trip. And he says, devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need. 
Maybe you see an urgent need in your community. Maybe you see an urgent need in your family. Maybe there's an urgent need that you come across at work. But do you know what? If you notice it and you see it, could it be that God has you on assignment for that very reason? Could it be that you see it and no one else does because God has given you the sensitivity to it and you can do something about it? And it may not seem like a lot, but you know what? It's an awesome investment. God has made an investment into you, and he expects a return on his investment. So on a regular basis, what we can do is wake up and say, Lord, I want to be used by you. I devote my life to doing good works, not because I'm trying to earn salvation, but I devote my life because of the good work that you've done in me. I devote myself to good work because you've done a great work in me. And as I reflect on the good work that God has done for me, then I am reminded that that's what he's created me for, that I've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Is there someone here that you really don't know what you've been created for. And you're on this journey of seeking what, is, what does God want for me? What is he trying to do in me? And you're not sure. Well, I believe that God placed it on the heart of a team of people a little over five years ago to plant a church in this community. A good work that requires a lot of hard work, a lot of adversity, a lot of difficulty, a lot of challenges, but a good work nonetheless. One that says, listen, God has placed us here for a reason. And as a result, five years later, you come into this place to hear that God has created you for a special reason, to do a good work. I invite you to surrender your life to Jesus today and say, Lord, I don't understand it. There's this faith thing that I don't really get, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try you. I'm going to take you at your word. Because God has made an investment into you, and it's a worthy investment. And there's a great return that you're going to yield. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to study your word. And, and God, our desire, Lord, is, is not to just be hearers, God, but we want to be doers of what your word says. And, and so, Lord, as we have been encouraged today through the words of Paul, that, God, you have created us for something great. You've made an awesome investment into us, and 
Lord, and we just want to be used by you. However you, however you want to do it, Lord, we are available. We surrender ourselves to you. God, if there's one today that want to make Jesus Lord of their life, God, I, I ask in Jesus' name that, that the gospel would be made so plain that that they can receive. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we give you praise today. In Jesus' name, amen.